Well, hello, beautiful Well family. Uh, I hope that this video finds you doing well. Uh, I'm sure it goes without saying, but we miss you guys terribly. Uh, long to be together, uh, but we're really thankful that we have this opportunity to use technology to be able to still uh, connect with one another. And so uh, I'm thankful that we get to be able to be in the Word together even. Uh, if you think about it, 200 years ago, we would not have had the opportunity to still sit together in the scriptures, in worship. And so even though all the different things are going on, we could be thankful uh, that God has allowed us to still connect with one another in different ways. So excited to finish First Thessalonians, and that's what we'll be doing together today. And so let's go ahead and do this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Feel free to pause the video. Go get your Bible. We want your eyes on the Word. We say this every week because we mean it, we really believe that the scriptures are what communicate to us and the scriptures are what give us insight and direct us. And so we want you to be in the word with us this morning. Um, as Paul concluded his letter, what he was doing with the Thessalonians was he wanted to leave them with the idea that their personal sanctification mattered. And so he was talking about their sanctification. Now that word, it just means to be set apart or to be holy or really simply to be made more like Jesus. Jesus. And so Paul wanted them to become more like Christ and wants the church to really excel still more in the work of God, which is making us more like Jesus and drawing us into the kingdom by making us like his son. You see, God is for our good and God is for our joy. And we are most joy filled and most good comes when we look most like God because we were created in his image. And so we thrive when we become like him. And so our sanctification or being made like Jesus is actually for our good and is for our joy. And there are three overarching ways that Paul tries to highlight for us and what sanctification looks like through this text. And so we're going to read the first part. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 15. But I'm actually going to have a friend uh, read it for us today. So Daniel Lentz is going to read it. So go ahead, take it away, Daniel. Hey, well, family, my name is Daniel Lentz. I'm one of the elders here at the church and uh, miss getting together with you guys. Can't wait to see you all again when we're through this. Uh, I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today, verses 12 through 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays any evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, so firstly, in Paul's understanding of how we grow more like Christ, he says that it takes healthy relationships. That's your first point will be on the screen there for you, healthy relationships. God is a relational God, and so it makes most sense that as we become more like him, we grow in our relationships as well. Paul deals first with our relationships with leaders, actually, particularly spiritual leaders or pastors or elders and the like. And he calls for us to respect them and to esteem them highly in love, he says, because of their labor amongst us. 
Now, real talk, this is a little bit awkward for me to talk about because it's telling you to esteem me highly in love. And it kind of feels like when a wife like tells her husband, like, can you tell me that you love me? Like, no matter what happens next, it's not good, okay? So uh, I'm going to act like uh, this is just talking about some other spiritual leader like Daniel or Anthony or something, okay? Uh, But it tells us to esteem them highly and to esteem them in love. And the reason this is important is because the way that we respond to our earthly spiritual leaders is a direct response in how we will respond to our heavenly spiritual leader in Jesus, I told y'all last week, it's okay to say amen to the TV, okay? Say amen. Um, And so uh, we aim to respect or to esteem highly the leaders that God has over us because we will then train ourselves to esteem Jesus highly, our true heavenly spiritual leader. Now notice that these leaders are supposed to labor, the word says there. That word labor in the Greek, it means to exhort energy to the point of weariness. And also that they should labor among you is what the text says here. So not in an ivory tower, but in the midst of the church. A good shepherd should smell like his sheep. A good shepherd should smell like the sheep that she has been put around. These CG shepherds or pastors or elders, they should be in the midst of their people. A good leader, they know the people that God has entrusted to them. And so we labor to the point of weariness amongst the people of God. And as you respect and as you love these leaders, naturally, if they're good leaders and if they're leading for the right reasons, then they will want to continue to pour out more and more to you. And so it's good for the whole church because they will respond to this respect and this love and they will want to pour out even more and the whole church will be blessed. And so we should esteem them highly because the work that they're doing is really hard is what Paul is saying. They're laboring to the point of their own exhaustion. In fact, there was a recent uh, Forbes magazine article that ranked uh, the job of being a pastor as the fifth hardest job in America. And I've seen other lists that actually have it as high as the third hardest job. And so it's the only job where you are critiqued by everybody in the organization from the lowest, right, to the highest. And your boss is actually perfect. Literally, okay? And so, like, there's no mistakes that he makes, right? Like, uh, you care for everybody emotionally, physically, spiritually. Satan hates the church, and so he attacks the church, and in that, attacks the leaders. Your own flesh wants to use the church for your own glory. The world sees no value in what we do for the body, and so it's attacked at every angle, so it's hard. And Paul recognizes that and says, hey, you should respect them and honor these leaders. They're laboring amongst you. And so we should respect our spiritual leaders is what the text says. Now, unless we think this is one-sided, there's actually far more texts that talk about the dangers of spiritual leadership and how not many of us should want to be teachers and how we'll be held accountable before God with what we do and that we should treat the church in a certain way and all the consequences. There's all these texts that give us the dangers of spiritual leadership. And so by no means is this uh, just speaking to the 
those that are under spiritual authority. There's all these texts in Scripture that actually speak to those in spiritual authority. Even in this text here, notice a pastor should be esteemed not just because of their position, but look at the text, because of their work is what it says. So even here implicitly is this call for leaders to sacrifice for the sake of the people that are around them. But as we love and as we esteem and as we respect our leaders, then naturally our hearts will love and esteem and respect Christ. And because Paul wants us to look more like Jesus as we do that on earth, then we begin to uh, model that to our heavenly God and there's this connection that happens there. So Paul recognizes the importance here. Do you respect, do you esteem, do you love your spiritual leaders? He doesn't just talk about leaders though. He also then goes on to talk about others. Now notice in the text, Paul actually asks us to respect our spiritual leaders, but he urges us in the way we treat one another. So verse 12, he asks us to do something, but in verse 14, he's urging us or commanding us to treat each other in a certain way. And so if the way we treat spiritual leadership is important, then the way we treat each other is actually primary, is what Paul is saying. See, even if we do not treat our spiritual leaders uh, the way that we should, the spiritual leaders are still called to sacrifice for the body. But if we don't treat each other the way that we should, then disharmony comes, and that really breaks the union of the church and messes up our sanctification. So Paul urges us in the way we treat one another. And so it says that we are to admonish or rebuke the idle, or some translations say the unruly here. We are to encourage the faint-hearted, and we are to help the weak, it says. And so different people do not walk in their sanctification for different reasons, and what we are to do is discern why these people aren't walking in Christ the way they should be and respond to it appropriately that we may help them become more like Jesus. And so really what we're thinking about here is the unruly or the the idol, it says we are to admonish them. Now think about it. If we go to encourage the unruly, then all we're doing is encouraging them in the same sin that they're already doing. If we try to help the unruly, well, we're helping, we're aiding in that sin. And so we're supposed to admonish them, is what Paul says. Similarly, if we were to try to uh, admonish the faint-hearted, well, we end up crushing them because they're faint-hearted, right? At the same time, if we try to help the faint-hearted, we end up enabling them because they can do it. They're just faint-hearted. Their heart isn't where it needs to be, so they need a word of encouragement because they can do it, but for whatever reason, they're not, right? Same thing. If you admonish the weak, then you crush them, but if you encourage the weak and say, you can do it, go get it, and then they try and they can't because they're weak, well, then they get discouraged again, and so we are to get our hands dirty and actually help the weak. And so really what's going on here is in some relationships, we need to be more like coaches and stop being cheerleaders for people. There are some people that are walking in sin, and for whatever reason, we think that the godly response is to be cheerleaders. No, sometimes the godly response is to be a coach and to say, you can't do this or you should do this, not on our own authority, on the authority of the word of God and of the God who wants our joy and our good and for us to become more like Jesus. But sometimes we try to be coaches and we just need to be cheerleaders. We don't always have to teach or always have to help. Sometimes we just get to say, you can do it, you can do it, go do it. And so here, Paul is calling us to discern where everybody's at and to help them in their sanctification. But he says with all of them, no matter where the person is, we are to be 
patience, the word says. So whether they're unruly or whether they're faint-hearted or whether they're weak, we are to respond with patience. That Greek word patience actually means to have a long fuse is what it says. And so it takes a lot for you to blow up, right? Okay, quick application, right? Parents, have you been patient with your children as you are quarantined with them this whole week? Right? Okay. Uh, Uh, Look, the same is true with a roommate, okay, or even people on social media or something. Like, have you been patient with people during the season that may be causing some people to act in unruliness or idleness? It may be causing some people faint-heartedness. Some people may be weak right now, but have we been responding with patience? God wants us to be patient with everybody because you were once idle and unruly and faint-hearted and weak, and yet God was patient with you in Christ Jesus. And as he was patient with us and gently walked us into the kingdom of God, we are now believers. And so because our God was patient, he wants us to mimic him in that patience that is our sanctification, that is us becoming more like Jesus. And so we are called to be patient, discern where people are, and help them in their path towards Christ-likeness. This is important in building up the church, is what Paul says here. It says that then in verse 15, we should do good, particularly to those in the church, but also to the world around us. We don't just respond with patience to each other, but we respond with patience to the whole world, and we try to draw them into the kingdom of God and help them become more like Jesus. So how can you practice this, even this quarantine season? How can you think about ways that you can admonish, you can respect or esteem leaders, that you can help or encourage? How can you do that even in this season right now? I would encourage you to think about that and try to walk in that sanctification. Well, I want to keep reading. We're going to read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 22. uh, And I'm going to ask one of my wife's long-term spiritual mentors, Deanna, to read that for us. Hi, Well family. I am Deanna Christensen, and I am a covenant member of the Well. Right now, I am going to be reading from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 to 22. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Diana. And secondly, we work on our sanctification personally, or we have a hearty devotion, is the second point there. The first thing that Paul mentions is how we treat each other, but now he turns inward to how we respond to ourselves and within our own selves. And so this should be essential, especially during this time, because during quarantine season, we're spending a lot of time with ourselves, okay? And so Paul says, hey, here's how you actually respond inwardly, the inward posture of the heart. Now notice a couple of things in this text. It says that we give thanks 
in everything, not for everything. So we're not thankful for losing our jobs or for seeing death or for being stuck at home or for sicknesses. All of those things are not godly because none of those things will be in the kingdom of God. And so they're all products of the fall is what we see there. Rather, we are thankful in those things, for in those things, our faith is stretched, and we know and we see God more, and he woos people to himself. It is literally in these moments that God steps in and brings people into the kingdom, and so we are not thankful in or for those. We're thankful in those things, and we rejoice at what God is doing, for it is in these types of seasons that we learn dependency on God. You see, suffering, it turns into a dear friend that molds us into the image of Christ. And so are we seeing this season like this? We're not thankful for the circumstance, but we do know that God is good in the circumstance, that God has not changed. And so we're thankful for that. We know that through that, he will be glorified. He will be exalted. His name will be made much of. And for this, we are forever grateful. And so we're thankful in these moments. Now, this requires us to have our eyes fixed on God, who is in control, though, just like we talked about last week, because we need to remember that God is the one that is literally working in all of the mess around us, and he is close to us in these seasons. You see, when we focus on our jobs or our loneliness or the struggles that are around us, more than we focus on God, we lose track and it's nearly impossible for us to be thankful in those moments. We let the chaos around us deceive us to making us think that it is in control. But chaos is never in control. God is in control. And so we can be thankful in the midst of the chaos because God is doing something through that chaos. And he's molding us into the image of his son. In the chaos, we're usually sanctified. In fact, the moments where you have grown most with Christ, I want you to think about it. Were they moments of peace or were they moments where a lot of things were falling apart? Usually, we grow most like Jesus when things are falling apart around us, and then God steps into the midst of it and draws us. In fact, that's most people's salvation story, that we were falling apart, and then Jesus stepped in at the right time. And so we're thankful, not for, but in the circumstances. And so let me ask us just an honest question, right? In this season, have we allowed this situation around us to transform us more into the image of Christ? Or have we allowed the situation around us to transform us more into the image of the world or into the image of ourselves? Where are we at in this? Are we allowing the situation to mold us? Are we rejoicing always? Are we going to the throne room of prayer like the text tells us to? Are we listening to the Spirit? Are we giving thanks in our circumstances? Are we beginning to imitate Christ in this moment? Because as we do that, our joy actually deepens. Our prayers become more powerful because we become more like Christ. Therefore, we pray like him and we are made more like him. Can you see that in this text? That literally, as our inward devotions are turned towards trusting God, listening to God, knowing God, then God is glorified and we become more like him. And this is what this text is encouraging us to do. Now, there's a lot of imperatives here, okay? But what I want you to do is I want you to look at them and let them challenge you. There's a lot of things that the scripture calls us to do. Which of these things can you actually grow more in, even this week? 
Which of these things is the Lord convicting you to walk in more closely? Like, are you quenching the Spirit by walking in sin or quieting the voice of the Spirit in your heart? Are you despising prophecies, specifically the Word of God during this season? Or are you actually allowing this time to draw you towards the Scriptures? Each of these things, wherever we are, they transform us into the image of Christ, which is our good and our joy, and I want your joy, family. I want your joy. I want you to be joy-filled and to know God. And so as we walk in these things, we become more like Jesus. And so let's think about how we can do that even this week. Now, we could end here and say, now go be obedient, church, right? (laughs) Go and obey and be more like Christ. But let me be real. That would be anti-Christian in a lot of ways. For we know that in and of ourselves, we do not have the power to become more like Jesus, You see, uh, you are human, and a human cannot become like God. Therefore, God has to help us become like God. And so if we lean in our own power, and if we lean into our own strength, we'll be stuck with only what we can do. But Paul doesn't end with imperatives and what we should be doing. He ends his letter to the Thessalonians with a much greater hope. And so I want to finish our text. I'm going to ask my good friend Libby Cleves to read it for us. Hi, Well family. I miss you guys so much. My name is Libby Cleves, and I am a covenant member and a CG shepherd here at The Well. Today we'll be reading 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul, he ends by telling us that there is heavenly help. That's the third part there. You're not alone in this process. And in fact, it does not depend on your power. Someone greater is working within you. Notice, you can see there on the screen, it says, may the God of peace himself. And then it goes on in verse 24, it says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. God is the one at work and active in our sanctification. Your assurance is not found in how hard you are willing to work for God, but rather how hard God was willing to work to get you in the first place. You see, God came down and he's the one that redeemed us. And if God did not spare his own son for us, won't he also give us all things, including turning us into the image of his son, including making us like him? If he already gave his son to die on the cross for us, won't he give us all things? Yes, is what the answer is. Now, this doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. That's not what we're saying here, right? In fact, I want to read uh, from Mark Howell. He's a pastor and a commentator. And he says this about this passage. He says that God himself was going to sanctify them was not to imply that the Thessalonians had no role in the process. Paul had just outlined for them a series of commands to obey, chapters 4, 3 through 10, chapter 5, 12 through 22, etc., While sanctification is the work of God, believers must still assume an active role in this process by obeying God's word, following God's will, and surrendering to God's spirit. And so sanctification is a lot like parenting, I think. When my kids obey, 
it, it is always, as far as I try, for their joy and for their good. And when they want to go and they want to do their own thing and go their own way, it always gets chaotic and it never ends in their joy and it usually ends in tears. And then they all mad at me. But I still get what I want anyway because I'm the parent, okay? And so really similarly, I think that when we actually obey God, then it is always for our good and for our joy. But when we disobey, things always get chaotic and then we end up mad at God as if it's his fault in the first place. And so we can actually submit to the Spirit of God who we know is for our good. And as we submit to him and let him lead us and we partner with him in that sense, then it ends up being our good and our joy and the family or the household is full of joy and things are awesome in that household. You see, God is going to do it is what the text says, but we get to choose to partner and to co-labor with him. Just like in my household, certain things are going to happen but my kids get to choose to co-labor with us and we become this family unit that's working in it together. And so God wants to invite us in this process, not just in the process of winning the world to himself, though we get to co-labor with him in that too, not just in the process of bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, but we also get to partner with him in bringing the kingdom of heaven into our own hearts and establishing us to become more like Jesus and we experience joy when we do this. He then ends the text by encouraging uh, us to greet each other with a holy kiss, which I'm just going to say, do not greet each other like that right now, okay? Like, I know scripture is inerrant, all right? But I'm telling you to reject this piece of scripture, and you will be being obedient to the scripture in doing that, all right? Uh, in fact, if you ever greet me with a holy kiss, uh, then you're going to catch these holy hands, all right? Uh, I know I'm from the kingdom, but I'm from the south side of the kingdom, all right? So, uh, but what this is saying here, okay, uh, is that Christians should be known by their love. That's what it's saying. We should be known by our love. People should actually be able to see the affection that we have for one another. They should be able to tell that there's something different. And so really, what Paul is hitting on there is that we express the way that we love each other. And so we should do that. Really, in the last uh, three verses, Paul ends on the same thing he kind of already hit on. He says, pray which he already hit on a couple verses before, love each other really well, listen to the scriptures, and let the grace of God do work in your life. And so he repeats himself to kind of close us here. God will work in you because he already did all the work to save you, and we get to co-labor with him in this process. You see, Jesus was truly the sanctified one, was he not? He was truly the one that looked like Christ because he was Christ. He was the savior of the world. And yet Jesus died on the cross like he was the worst sinner ever so that we who are sinners who should be dead may now receive the sanctification of God. You see, the resurrection assures us that not only are we made right with God when we believe in him, but we will also become like God when we believe in him and that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so we will be made like God. And so listen, as we close this text, let me encourage you to do two things from our time today. Firstly, I want to encourage you to let this season and let every season teach you to trust God more and allow it to make you more like God. And so is he giving you more time with him in this season? 
Would you spend it with God? Is he giving you tangible ways to serve your neighbors with the love of Christ that one day they might even be brought into the kingdom? Well, then let us serve with reckless abandon like our God served us. Is he giving it a hard season to you? And and in that, can you learn to trust God and to see him in the midst of the chaos, not being thankful for that season, but being thankful in that season? Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to walk in Christ and to find out ways that you can become more like Christ, even in this season. And then secondly, I want you to take about 15 minutes or so, and I want you to today or tomorrow, like while it's still fresh on our minds, uh, write out things that we are thankful for or write out things that you are rejoicing in. Like even right now in this season, what is God doing in your heart? You see, when you write those things out, they will cheer your heart in Christ. And the text says that this is the will of God for you to be thankful in all circumstances. And so I want us to walk in the will of God. And so let's be thankful and literally seek God in these moments. And if you're thankful for nothing else in the season, then I want to encourage you that if you are a Christian, then you already have the only thing that matters. You have the blood of Jesus that is more precious than all of the worth of this world, and that has been poured out on you, and you are made into the image of the Son, and one day you will become like Him, and for that we will be forever joy-filled and thankful for And so let that draw you into a spirit of thankfulness, even over these next two songs. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. And my prayer for our church is that we would look more like Jesus, that we would allow this season to transform us into the image of Christ, that we would have healthy relationships, that we would have a hearty devotion, and that we would receive our heavenly help so that God may be glorified to the praise of his glory forever and ever. Amen? I love you guys. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you, God, are the God of hope. You're the God of joy. You're the God of peace. You're the God of all comfort. And so, God, wherever we may be struggling, wherever we may be rejoicing or thankful for, wherever we may be not walking in your spirit or listening to the word of God, whatever it might be, I pray that you would challenge us. God, if we are despising prophecies, mainly the prophetic word of God, would we not? Would we be in the word? If we are quenching your spirit, if we are walking in evil, would you challenge us to step out of that? And I thank you, God, that as you are working in us, you are patient with us. That if we are unruly or faint-hearted or weak, that you step in and you are the God of all patience and you respond to us exactly how we need it. God, we worship you and we thank you for this. God, will we be a church that looks more like you? Would we be transformed to the image of your Son? And God, for everybody that is listening and watching today that maybe they do not know who you are, I pray they would take the first step in the process and entrust their lives to you. That they would say, God, I cannot save myself, but I trust you. I want to follow you. I want to be made more like you. And friend, I want to encourage you that if you pray that prayer, God, I want you in my heart and in my life, then Jesus will come. He who did not spare his own son will also give us all things. And so God, thank you for giving us your son 
And thank you for one day transforming us into your son, where we will be made back into the image of God fully, and therefore our joy will be full and complete. I pray that we would even sing to that end, even here. God, will we sing out our sanctification in a sense as we close our time today? We thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. And we exalt your name. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.